You wanted to see me, Miss Swinton? Have you been hearing about the new government modernization efforts? AI, RPAs, data science. Things are changing at this agency, and people will need new skills. Oh. I'd like you to get some training. Huh. Look at this management concepts catalog. Wow, over 275 courses. That's right, in local classrooms or instructor-led online classes. We still have budget in this fiscal year, so sign up online. Advance your career with courses from Management Concepts. Get a catalog at managementconcepts.com or call 833-578-8466. This podcast may discuss topics graphic in nature and possibly triggering to survivors. We value the safety and well-being of all of our listeners, so please practice personal discretion. Now, enjoy the show. Hey, I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. We're the hosts of the Murder Diaries podcast. We bonded over tacos and true crime after we matched on Bumble BFF. You know, like any normal millennial using an app to meet new friends. Every Thursday, we upload a new episode. In each episode of the Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn. And the next week, it's mine. You still think it's in my but I'm walking with the dead. This week, we're going to be covering a missing person case. It's the case of Brianna Maitland, who went missing in 2004 from Vermont. Brianna Alexandra Maitland was born October 8th, 1986. She grew up with her older brother on their parents' farm in East Franklin, Vermont. East Franklin is a super tiny town, had a population of about 14 to 1500 at the last census, and it's really close to the Canadian border, literally minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's about an hour and a half to Montreal. Okay. But again, right to the border. When I was playing around with like Apple Maps and kind of checking it out and Google Earth, it is... It's almost in Canada, essentially. Yeah, it's almost in Canada. Let's say that. Brianna was known to be friendly and strong-willed. And this kind of plays a role in her case as well in terms of being friendly and strong-willed. She was known for seeing everybody in a positive light. She was beautiful and she had an instinct to think about others before herself. And she was known to be like a person of true compassion. One time, she even picked up a teenage hitchhiker. This was a stranger and she brought him home to have a safe place to wait for another ride. Which we never recommend, but it just goes to show what a kind and empathetic soul she had. Absolutely. And I think it also goes to show the area Mm -hmm. that they lived in, just that community feel and the feeling of safety which we all know we're all just one unfortunate incident from a safe area not being safe for us at that moment. So never let your guard down. But either way, it just shows a lot about her bringing this strange hitchhiker home. And her mom even recalls like walking in the door and (sighs) seeing like, oh, you brought somebody home. Okay. But we also have to remember too, the time, like this isn't the 80s, but it's still almost Mm -hmm. 20 years ago. So things were a little bit different. Absolutely. Something interesting about Brianna is that she was trained in jujitsu. That was something that she really enjoyed growing up. And it's definitely something that she had in her life. You wouldn't necessarily expect that we'd be talking about somebody who was so extensively trained in jujitsu, unfortunately, going missing. And that's kind of one of those pieces that I can't let go about this case either. Around this time in her life, she was 
I don't want to say going through a lot, but what was happening is maybe some growing pains. Mm-hmm. And she was kind of transferring high schools and doing that sort of thing. And I'm going to try and piece it together the best I can within the timeline. The first high school she attended was Missisquoi Valley Union High School. From there, she transferred to Innisburg Falls High School in nearby Innisburg Falls during her sophomore year. But that wasn't even the last time she would transfer. And we're going to kind of get to the next time she transferred. But before we do that, we have to talk about October of 2013, which was her 17th birthday. And this is actually an event that led up to her transfer to the next high school. She really wanted to get off the farm. And in turning 17, she felt like this was a time and she was probably begging and pleading Mm -hmm. with parents. And I could just imagine, you know, tearful arguments or fights or discussions about this. Either way, Brianna got her way. Her mom did try to stop her. But again, she was strong-willed, like I mentioned, and she really wanted that freedom. And her parents decided that that was going to be what helped Brianna the most to get that, is to let her go. And we've both been 17-year-old girls before we know how mature we feel. So maybe at this point, she just feels as if she's an adult and is ready to make her own decisions. That's exactly what's happening here. And we all remember thinking we knew everything when we were a teenager. Right. And I mean, obviously now in hindsight, I realize like I was just a child, but you don't realize that in the time. Yeah, you don't even have a frame of reference to understand how young you really are, right? So again, her mom had tried to stop her, but they decided it was what was best. And listen, it's not like she was going to go far. And it's not like there was any stresses and that the relationship was breaking. There really wasn't any super duper serious stresses, according to her mom, at home at the time. It really was just that fight for independence and something that I could see would play a huge role in a parent's decision to say, hey, okay, 17-year-old child of mine, you may move out, is that Brianna's core group of friends didn't really live that close. They were Mm -hmm. 15 miles away. And when you're a teenager, that's quite a bit because in this case and many cases, 15 miles means you're not going to the same high school. So she's got this group of friends and they live 15 miles or 24 kilometers away. I don't usually like to input uh, personal stories, but I can really relate to Brianna in that way in the sense that When I was in high school, I lived significantly far away from all of my friends. And it was always an issue because I would almost feel like I would get left out for, you know, quick uh, spur of the moment activities because it would be like, oh, I can't make it. I can't get a ride. Or, oh, guys, it's kind of late. By the time I get there, it'll be even later. And even my friends would say like, oh, you live in BFE, beyond fucking Egypt. Like that's how far away... And sorry to cuss mom if you're listening, but (laughs) it's true. It it can really, at that age, affect your social life. Oh, absolutely. And you are going through that piece where your peers are everything. So you could imagine how tough it would be. When she first moved out, she actually lived between two different boyfriends at the time. But by December 2003, the living arrangements were a little more unstable with, Mm -hmm. you know, those boyfriends. I don't know the dynamics. 
of any of that, whether it was, hey, she was going out with this guy for a while, moves in, it doesn't work out, starts dating this other guy quickly and moves in with his family. Remember, these are also teenage-ish boys who were living with their families at the time. So she lived with the boyfriend and their families. By February of 2004, towards the end of that month, she dropped out of school. I say that a little loosely and moved in with a childhood friend that was in the area, which was Sheldon, Vermont. She did decide that she was going to complete her education and she went ahead and enrolled in a GED program. So from right around her 17th birthday to February, that's kind of when all of this change was happening. But we're kind of finally maybe settling into this whole new phase of Brianna's life, which is living with her friend in Sheldon, Vermont, and working on her GED. And again, this is February of 2004. For non-U.S. listeners, I want to just kind of quickly state that the GED is basically a high school equivalency route that you can take here in the U.S. So if you don't want to go through traditional high school and earn that diploma, the GED will allow you to enter community college and on your resume to say that you have completed high school or high school equivalency, that sort of thing. So it's basically tests and you go ahead and get that equivalency completed for yourself there. The GED was something that Brianna was really looking forward to completing. It just seemed like she really just wanted to leave this whole high school thing kind of behind her. Mm -hmm. And again, not necessarily for any reasons that have been included in any articles or documentaries about this case. Nonetheless, it just really seems like she wanted to like let it go. But so she was excited and ready to move on from the high school portion of her life. She was ready to grow up. Ready to grow up. Also, it seems like maybe she had been there for a while. Maybe she was kind of ahead of that and kind of over this high school thing and never really even liked it. Mm -hmm. Never really felt part of the teenage idea, if you will. I'm kind of losing my words, but that's all I can really term it as, you know, that idea of like being a teenager and connecting to, I feel 15, 16, 17 years old. Maybe she never really felt that. Yeah. Well, I think you explained it perfectly at the beginning. You said she was an old soul and you really do get a sense of that where she just is ready to live her life on her terms. On her terms brings in that strong-willed portion too. A friend also was mentioning that she just never really had the easiest time fitting in in high school. Not necessarily being an outcast, but just all of those things that we were discussing. So her friend mentions that as well. She also mentions that, and this is something that, especially where Natalie and I grew up, can be difficult when you don't always have the latest and greatest. She grew up in like a rural farm area. So she wasn't always you know, with the greatest. Her car, for example, was a 1988 Oldsmobile. So just a modest farm, mm -hmm. rural family. Nothing wrong with that. But in high school, you know, that can just be such a rough thing to kind of go through where you're not going to have the newest and the shiny. Well, and especially at the time we were in high school, this was before the recession. This was when people were really mm -hmm. about name brands and showing off. I mean, I, we don't really have to explain that to a lot of our listeners because I'm sure that they experienced right. the same thing. But yeah, it was really like that at this time. 100%. I think Gen Z's got it right where they're really into thrifting. Mm -hmm. and But I'm sure they still have it too, you know, and thrifting is not cheap anymore. But 
again, that's just something that happens in high school. So keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak, at the high school level was a little bit difficult for her. And that was something she struggled with as well. Regardless of all of that, by February, she had left traditional high school behind and enrolled in that GED program we were mentioning. And on March 19th, 2004, she was ready to take the GED exam. This would be the last day that Brianna was ever seen. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. So let's talk about what happened that day. This is where our timeline sort of starts. Mm-hmm. And remember, this is a missing persons case. So this is this is all we have right now. And it's still a very active investigation. So keep that in mind as well. And thank goodness it is. On Friday, March 19th, 2004, at 12 p.m., Brianna was enjoying a meal and some shopping with her mom after taking the GED exam. A couple of resources mentioned breakfast. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure where this breakfast with mom and lunch with mom kind of falls into place because the main timelines talk about 12 p.m. lunch or some sort of meal. Maybe we can call it the brunch or something. Yeah, she was enjoying a meal with her mom. That's the way I've been more comfortable terming it because especially when they're still missing, we don't want to jumble everything right. up. But so she's enjoying a meal and some shopping with her mom after taking the exam. When they get to the last store that they're going to be going to, Brianna got sort of distracted and noticed something outside. Her mom's noticing all of this kind of happen and Brianna's just sort of agitated and she tells her mom she'll be right back and leaves the store to go just right outside the store into more, maybe more of like a parking lot-ish area. I'm Mm -hmm. a little unfamiliar with exactly where they were shopping, but that's what the documentary kind of depicts. Her mom didn't notice where she went necessarily, but, you know, it's a, it was an area with other shops and things like that. But she knew that Brianna was near, of course. Her mom continues to check out um, with and purchase what she was trying to buy. And they ended up meeting back up in the parking lot. So wherever they had parked, that's where they met up. I'm not sure how close the store was to that. Again, it's depicted that it was you know, more of a situation where you walk in the store from a parking lot and you're right there kind of thing. After this sort of strange event, Brianna's mom notices that her whole mood had changed too. So she went from really excited to be shopping and enjoying lunch and be done with her GED exam to being a little bit shaken up, a little agitated, kind of withdrawn. She never asked Brie what happened though because she didn't want to violate privacy. Remember, this is a daughter who had moved out 
not even six months before. And you are going to be working on developing that new relationship. What does this new normal look like? And her mom's trying to respect the boundaries that she put in place. That is so perfectly termed. Respecting Brianna's boundaries. And we all know you don't really want to cross your teenage daughter's boundaries. And again, they're working on this relationship. So of course, she's going to let Brianna come to her with this Mm -hmm. issue, perhaps, you know, those types of ideas. Again, hindsight is twenty twenty. So of course, her mom doesn't think this is the last time she's going to see her daughter or be able to even talk about it with her as well. So we have to remember all of these things when we're talking about this moment. Right. And nobody ever thinks it's going to be the last time they see their loved one. So it, we we need to definitely offer Brianna's mom some level of grace because obviously if she had known what was about to happen, she would have asked. Right. Of course, we all want to ask her, what the heck was that? Was there somebody out there? What was going on? But we can't, unfortunately, at this time. At any rate, Brianna is a little bit agitated, mood shifted, and is kind of pressing just to get back and get ready for work. Another thing that a parent could be like, okay, well, maybe she's just starting to feel like it's a little antsy and restless and needs to hurry up and get home and get ready for work kind of thing. You know, you just Mm -hmm. never know. So that's kind of what was going on. Her mom drops her off at the friend's house that she was living. Remember, she had moved in with another friend. And that was about 3.30 to 4 p.m. And that was kind of that. We don't know a ton of what was going on for Brianna from the time she got dropped off around 3.34 until she left for work. But we do know that she left a cute little note for her friend saying, hey, I'll be back after work tonight. Again, maybe a little girl code for, hey, can't wait to hang out later tonight kind of thing. Either way, she's just letting her friend know, I'll be back later. She worked at this place called the Black Lantern Inn as a dishwasher. She also had another job as well. But this night, she had a shift at the Black Lantern Inn. It's a cute little six-room inn that opened up in 1803. It's super historic. And it's in the heart of this little village area in Montgomery, Vermont. So in the surrounding area. This also gives you a picture of the community. In 2015, so this is over 10 years after Brianna goes missing, the group of locals opened it back up after it had closed. So it closes around 2015 and a group of locals pool together and figure out how to get it up and running again. I love that so much. It gives you a sense of just what kind of place Brianna was living and what Montgomery, Vermont, and this overall area of Vermont is like. It's really sweet. It also gives you a sense of the dedicated customers that were probably going to the bar and she was interacting with. Right. You don't have to be staying at the inn to be able to go to the restaurant, for example. And I'm sure many of the locals frequented. With that in mind, it was actually a super busy night at the inn on March 19th, which is also telling you there's more than just the people staying in the six rooms. Her parents were out and about and they passed by the inn and they thought, oh, maybe we'll stop in and see her while she's working. But they decide not to, as they thought, we don't want to embarrass her and be those parents. Again, teenage girl. And again, respecting some of these boundaries that Brianna was putting up by moving out and expressing her independence, her want for growth and independence. Exactly. So they decide not to go in. It's so heartbreaking when 
I was watching this documentary. Her mom is having an interview and she refers to this moment of deciding not to go into the Black Lantern Inn as a mistake. She really might look back on it as a moment where she could have seen her one last time. And again, it's just so sad and heartbreaking because it's like, again, how could she have known that that would have been one of the last moments she could have? As with many restaurant jobs, Brianna left work pretty late that night, especially for a 17-year-old for a shift to end. She was leaving around 11.20. A few of the coworkers were socializing a little bit after clocking out, but Brianna actually mentioned to them that You know, she was actually going to just go ahead and head home. She wasn't really going to hang back. And she needed to get some sleep because she actually had a shift for her second job in the morning. So she hops in her 1988 Oldsmobile and she was seen driving away. Or at least the car was. The friend that Brianna lived with saw her note earlier that day. The one I mentioned that she left saying she'd be back that night. Well, it turns out not long after she found the note, She was actually getting ready to head out for the weekend. She went out of town. When she returned on March 21st, the note was untouched, like Brianna had never been home, you know? Oh, I guess friend is gone. Here's that note I left. Let me throw it away or something. Yeah, let me me grab it and throw it away. Like, it's useless now, right? It wasn't moved or anything from just even someone being around, nonetheless thrown away because it was no longer relevant. So at this point, the roommate is working under the the suspicion that she hasn't returned. That's essentially... Mm -hmm. Her friend basically assumes that she's not there because maybe she's staying with family, something of that sort. Makes sense. Yeah. Two more days pass and still no Brianna. So on Tuesday, March 23rd, the friend that Brianna was living with, calls her parents and is looking for her. Hey, did she go stay with you? Mm -hmm. She hasn't made it back. What's going on? Her mom immediately started calling around to other friends, the restaurants she worked at, and no one had seen her. No one had seen her in days. Remember, this would be March 23rd, and the last time she was seen was March 19th after work as she was leaving. Her mom goes ahead and gives her dad a call. He's in New York on a work trip. And he actually comes home right away because neither of them felt like any of this was okay and that it was just off. So they got busy right away and reported her missing as soon as they could. All of that stuff starts happening. And they start driving around and looking to see if they could find her in areas that they knew she frequented. No, Brianna. They end up getting in touch with an aunt Brianna was super close with to see, you know, did she go ahead and stay up there? And we just didn't know what is going on. Well, no, Brianna. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets and all your stress seems to melt away like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. Family and friends start to wonder if 
maybe she'd taken off to New York City, Montreal. She'd often talked about moving to one of those two cities and starting a life there when she could. They felt that while this made sense in terms of what Brianna might want to do within her lifetime, it didn't make sense that she would do it now and not tell anybody that this is what she was going to go do. Like you mentioned, she had her boundaries, but she respected the people in her life to clue them in on what she was doing. She left her roommate a note. You know, she would tell her parents, hey, I'm I'm moving out to this place. You know, it wasn't like her to just disappear into thin air. Yeah. And it became even more unlikely that this was the case when a discovery was made. On the morning of Thursday, March 25th, her parents went to seek further assistance for their daughter's disappearance at the Vermont State Police Department. While working with the Vermont State Police, it came to Brianna's parents' attention that earlier there had been a green Oldsmobile that had been found abandoned. Oh, no. The police show them the picture of the Oldsmobile to identify if it was maybe Brianna's. Because, you know, they're asking those questions. What? Oh, your daughter's missing. What kind of car does she drive? Mm -hmm. That sort of thing. So this is how all this is happening. And they get to that point and they show them the picture. They knew it was Brianna's car. It's a little bit distinct. Do they know when the police found it? We do know when they found it. They explained to Brianna's parents that they had received a call about this abandoned car on March 20th, the day after Brianna had gone missing. And let's remember, she had last been seen around 11.20 p.m., so there really wasn't a lot of March 19th left. Right. Her parents identify this car positively, that it's Brianna's, and we learn a little bit more about it. It had been backed into an abandoned farmhouse. This farmhouse was just west of Montgomery. It was off East Berkshire Road and Vermont Route 118, and it's across from Dutch Burn Farm Road. Mm -hmm. Don't know the area. These are just listed in resources, of course. So that's where it was when police found it. Her mom instantly knew, look, she would not do anything like that. This is not like a DUI situation. This is not something that Brianna would do with her car. She wouldn't abandon it, and she wouldn't abandon it backed into a farmhouse. And when I say backed in, it almost looks like it kind of crashed slowly into it. Mm -hmm. When police were dispatched to the scene of the car, they thought, okay, yeah, maybe it's a DUI. But again, Brianna's parents were like, no, she wouldn't have done that. But at this time, this is Saturday, so they hadn't spoken with their parents and they wouldn't for another five days on mm -hmm. the 25th. This is, this is the picture of what happened on the 20th from the police perspective. So they get to the car and they take the license plate down and they head over to the inn, Black Lantern Inn. I'm not sure why, but perhaps because it's a common place in town to drink. I don't know why they decided to go to the inn to ask, hey, you know, what's going on with this car? Would you know anything about it? Did anybody driving Oldsmobile leave here? You know, who knows what they were asking, but they headed over there. But actually, nobody was at the inn when the officers arrived to ask. So they couldn't even really ask anybody on that day what the heck was going on maybe with this car. So they decide, okay, well, let's tow it. And Essentially, they towed the crime scene of where Brianna was last seen away. Unbeknownst to them. Unbeknownst to them, 
they hoped actually that the car would just be claimed later. Mm-hmm. They thought that maybe, again, DUI, somebody abandoned the car, didn't want to get caught, and they'll come get it. But obviously, nobody came to get the car. And again, pictures of the wreck by the owner of the structure are some of the only records of the crime scene. All we have are pictures of what was on the floor, where was the car, all of that, only in pictures. And so quickly, too. The car wasn't even there for like 24 hours. Mm-hmm. I do want to make sure to say that police do have custody of the pictures I mentioned of the scene. Because, again, it's all we have. Brianna's parents are pretty upset, rightfully so, that they weren't notified on that Saturday, March 20th, when the car was found. They're not really sure why they weren't. In the meantime, Brianna's brother finds out where the car was now after being towed. So her father headed there. Like, good for him. Mm -hmm. So he heads over there, and he, in the car, found Brianna's migraine medication, paycheck, and contact lenses. These are things that people wouldn't just leave around willy-nilly, right? You're taking them around with you because you need them. Especially your contact lenses. I mean, you obviously need them to see. Yes, and migraine medication you want near you in case you get a migraine because they're pretty debilitating, speaking from experience. And a paycheck, of course, you're going to want to go cash that. And with this resource, does list it strictly as a paycheck, but... As we know, it could be a pay stub. Let's not get uber specific. But the main point here is that they found pretty important items that are needed for frequent use here. Something my mind did not turn to when I was watching the documentary was the keys. And then when they started mentioning the keys, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. They had not been recovered. When Brianna's father realizes that since the keys had not been recovered, that the trunk had never been opened. Again, they weren't looking at a missing persons case right away when they picked up an abandoned car, right? Mm -hmm. So they weren't really of that mindset and completely investigating the vehicle until this point. So her dad says, police, you didn't open the trunk of the car? I'm opening it. And he takes matters in his own hands, takes like a crowbar or whatever, and pry to open. We have to remember, her dad had no idea what or who he would find in there. Was it going to be his daughter? Was -hmm. she going to be alive? Was she going to be dead with something or somebody else in there? But he was going to open it, and he did. And what they found in there was not Brianna, which I guess somewhat fortunately in that regard, what they did find were items of Brianna's friends that she had been holding on to for some time and some items from her own childhood that, while she was going between friends' houses, she was keeping in the trunk what she had taken with her when she moved out of her parents' house. What you see from the picture when they had opened up the trunk was that there were some boxes and trash bags, darker colored trash bags, a clear bag of some sort with something in it, and what looks to be like a floral seat cushion. I don't know if I already said it, but there was also a cardboard box. Now, some of us, that listen to true crime and are true crime consumers, we might be interested in those items. We might want to go through the box and look in the bags because the hindsight is twenty twenty, And we do maybe wonder if there was a clue in that trunk that day. But 
to her family and investigators, there really wasn't anything of note in the trunk. Now, this is good in a way because it means that she could perhaps still be alive, at least on that day that they had opened the trunk. But it still left him clueless as to where Brianna could be. And the question remained where she could be and if she was taken against her will. Her family knows, though, that she was trained in martial arts, as I mentioned earlier, specifically jujitsu. So it would have really been a fight to take Brianna against her will. However, they want no stone unturned, and they continue on with this investigation. By Friday, March 26th, searches were conducted. News media was all over it, and Brianna's aunt, the one I mentioned earlier she was close with, arrived and was assisting with the search as well. Flyers were posted everywhere, and her mom really spearheaded that effort. Her mom said, I put him on every other telephone pole. I put them in every window. I put them everywhere. So her face and this flyer, this poster, it was everywhere. Her dad also launched his own investigation. He questioned everybody that he could at the Black Lantern Inn, even before police did. Law enforcement had canine units searching the area that her car had been found. Nothing was really turning up. On March 30th, her car was searched and state police say that there was no true sign of foul play within the vehicle, meaning if she was taken against her will, maybe it wasn't necessarily happening from within the car. That's really all that tells us, to be honest. Essentially, they didn't find any DNA evidence or um, tears in the fabric, nothing specifically that's screaming foul play. Well, this is what they're saying at the time. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get to what we know today as we go down our timeline, because this script sort of changes a tiny, tiny bit. Mm -hmm. Back to 2004, though, tips were flying in straight to the family, too. And that makes sense for like a small area, you know? So many crazy and disturbing calls were fielded, but one call was actually interesting to them. It was a call from the Murray family. This is a family from a neighboring state, New Hampshire. And yes, this is the Murray family of Maura Murray, who many of us know her case. And if you don't, go listen to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. It's great, and you'll really get to know her case. So she'd gone missing from New Hampshire just five weeks prior to Brianna in pretty similar circumstances when you really break it down. A car was wrecked in a sort of strange way and abandoned. The site where Brianna and Mora's cars were found are about 90 miles apart. So that's about an hour and a half or so. Both cases remain unsolved and both families wonder if they're related. Investigators include this notion to this day within their work. On April 3rd, 4th, and 5th of 2004, a massive search happens thanks to the Class Kids Foundation. It's a foundation that's dedicated to finding missing juveniles. So they're there to support, which is wonderful. Unfortunately, nothing was found during that search, but the effort wasn't for nothing. It brought a lot of publicity to the case, which brought witnesses forward that had seen Bree's car the night that she was last seen. The first known sighting of her vehicle was around 11.30 to 12.30. So an hour span, kind of a lot. But it's what we've got to work with. 
At any rate, around that time, an individual noticed a car backed into the barn where it had been found on Saturday and the headlights were on. Another witness said around 12.30 a.m., they noticed a turn signal on. And it intrigues me that both witnesses recall different, what I'll call like light statuses on the car. You know, one saying headlights were on, the other one saying there's a blinker. Now, with an older car, there's a lot of different things um, that could be at play here that we're not even going to begin to unpack. But it does make me wonder, is this a thing of human memory and one is remembering it correctly? Or is it something as simple as the perp turned the headlights off in between and then in doing something in the vehicle triggered the blinker? Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me. So again, we could have somebody being incorrect or we could have had something happen in between. It also makes me wonder if the headlights were on with that blinker. There's just so much that we don't know and that honestly, isn't given in mm-hmm. terms of the documentaries and the resources. But the resource I used depicted that it was just a blinker and no more headlights. The last sighting of Brianna's car before it had been towed on March 20th was at 4 a.m. Interestingly enough, the sighting was by her ex-boyfriend. He was driving home from a night out and he noticed the Oldsmobile backed into the barn and kind of checked it out a little bit. I don't know too much about what he did, if he got out of the car, if he just rolled up. I have no idea. It is not explained. But either way, he sort of checked out the scene of sorts and noticed that she wasn't anywhere to be found. The day after Brianna went missing, the 20th, motorists were taking pictures. I mentioned the owner of the structure took pictures as well. But these pictures from the motorists are also some of the only snapshots of the crime scene that we have. Luckily for the investigation, because if you think about it, that's two different sets of photographs, two different perspectives. I mean, it's unfortunate that we didn't get, you know, the car investigated in its place, but at least there's these photographs. Right. It was such a strange scene Mm -hmm. to see as they were driving by that, yeah, they decided let's take pictures and it is definitely a good thing. And here's some of the things that they noticed in those pictures. A water bottle, some loose change, a necklace or bracelet, some sort of jewelry. They didn't really know what to make of the information, but it's marked that, hey, there were these items surrounding the car. The search continued for Brianna and investigators start wondering and looking into who would have wanted to harm her. They come to find out that on February 27th, 2004, just mere weeks before she went missing, she attended a party with some friends. Partying wasn't unusual for Brianna, or really most 18-year-old people for that matter. Her friends recall that she could kind of command a room, say, at a party, like we're about to talk about, and she did get attention from guys. At this party, she ended up in a situation involving some male attention that we don't know too much about. We don't know what truly happened, but we know that a friend of hers ended up getting upset with her. So this girl is kind of upset because Brianna's receiving this attention that she's not okay with. Mm -hmm. Brianna ends up 
removing herself and goes to sit in her boyfriend at the time's truck. That friend was upset, as I mentioned, and ends up going to the truck and knocks on the window. Brianna rolls down the window. It's her friend. Maybe they're ready to talk again or maybe round two. Who knows? But at any rate, she rolls the window down and allegedly the friend punched Brianna in the face. This punch was pretty serious and it left Brianna with a concussion and a broken nose. And there are pictures of this. So you could see whatever had happened. There are pictures of Brianna after she got out of the hospital for it. That's one hard hit though. I mean, for another girl to be able to deliver that type of blow, I don't think I could do that. Break someone's nose and give them a concussion. I don't think my punch would either, but this friends did and charges were filed as a result. After Brianna had gone missing on April 9th, the charges were dropped, however. This friend is also considered cleared of any involvement in Brianna's disappearance. It's just important to mention when we still don't know what happened to Brianna, we're going to mention these events that police were looking into because you never know what could spark back up Mm -hmm. the right scenario. So the search continues, and now rumors are swirling about Brianna's disappearance being drug-related. So we've got a lot of different tips, remember, flying in. So one of the things that they were following as well is that it could have been drug-related. There was some drug ring activity at the time in Brianna's area, and she may have partied a bit with the people that were involved in that drug ring. Those closest to Brianna say, though, that anytime she had ever used any hard drugs or experimented, it was really recreational, very casual. She wasn't in an addictive episode, nothing like that. And a close friend even recalls a conversation with Brianna about the different drugs that she had tried. And the friend's like, is that something you're going to keep doing? And Brianna's like, no, this is just experimental. So it's really not likely that she was in such a bad spot with drugs that could have gotten her to a point of being taken advantage of or murdered or endangered. Remember also, she kept two jobs, got her Mm -hmm. GED. She wasn't necessarily showing signs of being in an addiction crisis either. And the private investigator on the case also corroborates this. Despite Brianna's contact and involvement with the area's known drug community, it's just maybe not that likely. Another tip surfaces in April that formed a new lead, and the tip said that Brianna was being held against her will in a house associated with the drug ring that we were just talking about. On April 15th, the state police actually followed the lead and raided the home. It's a farmhouse about 11 miles from where Brianna was last seen. Police spoke with the occupants. They say she's not there. Um, They were allowed to search, and they didn't find Brianna or anything related, but they did find drugs, and two handguns. So they further questioned the occupants and they were cited to court and a couple admit to knowing her but claim they have no idea what happened to her. So that lead is sort of dead there at that time. In June of 2004, investigators state officially that they do not believe Brianna and Maura Murray's cases were linked which I still think that there's probably some true crime aficionados and maybe some other angles of the case that could bring it back together. But at least in June, they made a statement saying that, I guess is what I'm getting at there. 
a cluster F of nonsense happens where state police put it out there that Brianna did owe money for drug debt and a local paper reported on it and her parents were pissed. I was able to read an excerpt from the article and it was basically saying that two people interviewed by police regarding her disappearance told them that she owed for drugs. Her parents, again, were so mad and the paper actually ended up having to issue a retraction. So the state police said, hey, look, we're going to work more closely with the family. But remember, the family also had a private investigator as well. I'm not sure when they came into the picture, but that's just important to note too. There really wasn't any evidence outside of those interviews that confirmed she owed any money to anybody. So it's a good thing that it got retracted. January 17th, 2006, there was a possible sighting of Brianna at Caesars Palace Hotel in Atlantic City around 9.18 p.m. Someone was there visiting from Vermont and they thought that they recognized this woman to be Brianna. The CCTV footage from that night was reviewed by investigators and Brianna's mom. And her mom says the the footage was grainy at first, but it did look like her. And there was some similar mannerisms. So they tried to find the woman, but they had no luck. The tape was eventually cleaned up for further recognizability of the woman. And her mom really says, you know what, I I don't think it's Brianna. And a mom knows. Me not knowing her... I think it looked a lot like her. So I see how it could be confusing, but I still too kind of feel like, and I was seeing this in real time, learning about this moment, that it might not have been her, even when it was still grainy. But I do think it looks like her. So I could see me not knowing her, that it could have been her. And I could have been like, oh, you thought it didn't look like her and it was her. Mm -hmm. So sometimes CCTV can give a little hope when it's really not or just be confusing in general. But I'm glad they got it cleaned up and it doesn't seem to be her. And again, they never found that woman. Years have passed now and still no Brianna. The drug house raid angle is still being pursued. So they're still looking into this possible connection within the drug ring we've been talking about off and on. In February 2007, a sworn statement from a police officer said that they were told that Brianna was murdered and dismembered, possibly by one of the occupants of the farmhouse, one of the occupants from the day I mentioned it was raided. That takes us to March 2016. On the case's 12th anniversary, investigators revealed to a local television station that they had indeed recovered DNA samples from Brianna's car. So remember, earlier mm-hmm. statements were saying nothing's here, nothing of note, which makes sense because you do keep things close at first. And then as you go, we have seen that more important information will get leaked to see if they can get a new lead that they can pursue. They want to keep good information close as possible for as long as possible, but when they need to, they'll release it. And I think 12 years, a 12th anniversary, good time to release some new information to see what we can get done. And just the capabilities of science. Forensic science is so much more advanced than it was in 2004. Truth. The results of this DNA test have not been made public, which is understandable. In July 2016, the farmhouse where Brianna's vehicle was discovered was destroyed in a fire. The next bit of information we have of note kind of comes from September 2020. The Vermont State Police Major Crime Unit um, is now collaborating with 
Othram. It's a Houston-based business that specializes in forensic testing and works on like cutting edge DNA and scientific techniques to work with DNA that allows them to identify victims and locate missing persons and uncover perpetrators. Through the partnership with the Vermont State Police, Othram will be analyzing the DNA evidence recovered during the investigation. And with that, they'll be able to aid in hopefully solving Brianna's disappearance. The company launched a fundraising drive to cover the costs, and it's already been met, which is so cool. Her family keeps any and all possibilities on the table still today until they receive justice and Brianna receives justice. There is a private investigator on the case. The state police are still on the case. There's been different rewards I noticed. The largest was 20000 They just will not give up, and rightfully so. Her father, Bruce Maitland, is now the president founder and CEO of a nonprofit called Private Investigations for the Missing. This organization seeks to, at no cost, assist families with missing loved ones afford private investigators for their cases. The GoFundMe for this organization is linked in the show notes, and I'll put it in the link in our bio on Instagram. You can also see their website in our show notes where the link for the GoFundMe was collected for this episode. The campaign is listed in a confirmed board member's name, Lance. So just because it doesn't say Bruce, don't let that freak you out or be afraid to donate. Where we are today is that Brianna's case is still classified as endangered missing. If alive, she would be 34 going on 35 years old. You can submit an anonymous tip by texting VTIPS to CRIMES. That's 274637. The number for the Vermont State Police is also in the show notes. That's where we'll leave this episode for this week. Until our next episode, you know where to find us at the Murder Diaries Pod on Instagram, at the Murder Diaries Pod at gmail.com, and at the Murder Diaries Podcast.com. And if you haven't already, go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It helps us keep the good content flowing. We certainly appreciate your five stars. And until then, stay safe. Bye. Bye.